Let us take a few minutes to consider standing before a holy God, because we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 10, the Apostle Paul wrote, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We shall, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The Lord's Supper takes on greater value, and you should appreciate it more if you think about standing before a holy God of whom it says, The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. And again, verse 10. Romans 14.10, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We shall stand before a holy God. We will not be able to excuse ourselves. We'll not be able to reason with Him that we had our reasons. He will not miss anything. We will not hide from Him. We shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We read this morning in Psalm 130 in verse 3, If... Thou, O Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Since we have to stand before Him, and since if He were to mark iniquities, no man can stand, then our case is hopeless, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to think upon that for a few minutes. We have two needs when we come to the Lord's table. First, to examine ourselves and make sure we have no unconfessed sins in our lives. Second, to discern the Lord's body and appreciate His death and be thinking upon it and resting our faith upon it for what He's done for us. Let me remind you briefly of the impossibility of standing before a holy God. When Adam sinned and the Lord God appeared in the garden and called unto Adam, Adam, where art thou? Adam was hiding in the trees of the garden And the Bible tells us why. And Adam explained to God why. And his explanation ought to cause us to reflect on what it means to stand before a holy God. I was afraid. I was afraid. One sin. And Adam was afraid of the God with whom he had walked and talked in the cool of the garden. We read only a few more chapters. And the Lord looked upon man, and He saw that all the thoughts and imaginations of man's heart from his youth were only evil continually. And so what did He do because of those evil thoughts? He drowned the earth. And all flesh that had the breath of life died, except for Noah and his family. This is a holy God, and the earth could not stand before Him. He suffocated them all underwater. In Exodus chapter 33, 
Exodus asks for, Moses asks for an audience with the Lord. And I read this to you. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 20. And the Lord said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. No man could stand before God and live. The Lord told Moses that. When we look at the Day of Atonement in Israel, the Day of Atonement was that one day per year when the high priest, with special blood, after a particular ceremony of special beasts, would go into the holiest place to offer a sacrifice for himself and for all the people. One time a year, only the high priest, only with blood, could go into the holiest of all, where it was, by a figure, the place of God's dwelling between the cherubim. Once a year, by blood. Nadab and Abihu may have tried it on another occasion. We don't know exactly what their strange fire was, but the Lord consumed them immediately. We have already seen, in considering the holiness of God, that picking up sticks in the Sabbath day, when the law was... You were to pick up your sticks on the day before the Sabbath day was enough for a man to be stoned. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? We have seen this morning again that Isaiah couldn't stand in Isaiah 6. Woe is me, I am undone. He couldn't stand before the holy presence of God. All of a sudden his speech became revealed to him as being corrupt and filthy, and he was unclean because of his words. He heard the cherubim, the seraphim there, crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And at the cry of the voice of those seraphim, the doors of that place shook as Isaiah had a vision of God and His glory. And the reason he felt so unclean about his speech, he tells us the reason. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. If we see the Lord, we will know we cannot stand in His presence. David tried to move the Ark of the Covenant once. You know the story well. Uzzah reached back to, to keep that Ark from trembling on the ox cart as it moved along. And Uzzah was killed. And David stopped that parade right there and had that Ark of the Covenant put into the nearest house. Obed, Edom, the Gittite. David tells us why. Because I was afraid. He didn't want to move that ark one more step toward its resting place. Because he couldn't stand before God. And he was a man after God's own heart. Because he didn't do it in the perfect way God wanted. The Lord puts it in these words. Because you didn't follow me after the due order. There is a due order for doing things. And if it's not done that way, it's not acceptable to the Lord. Job was twice crushed by the Lord revealing Himself to him. And he covered his mouth and did not want to speak further. He abhorred himself. He repented in dust and ashes. No man, not even Job, not even the man the Bible says was perfect and upright and eschewed evil and feared the Lord. Not even that man could stand in the presence of a holy God. You are all going to stand there. My job is, as his ambassador is to tell you about that event. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's my job. You can doze, but I thank God that I serve a God 
that will have the last laugh over you. He will crush you. And all the holy saints will rejoice with laughter. Because we have heard so much. And we are hearing so much. And the Bible is so plain to us that God is holy. And no man can stand before Him. No wonder David said, O Lord, if You should mark iniquities, who shall stand? Jesus Christ preached when He was here on earth that in the great day of judgment, many will be saying that they know Him. But He is going to say to them, Depart from Me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. I never knew you. It doesn't care who you think you know. It doesn't care who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. The Lord, when He says, I never knew you, is all that matters. No man can stand before Him if He were to mark iniquities. Jesus taught in a parable of a wedding. And the king coming in to view the guests. And the king coming in to view the guests of that wedding finds a man without a wedding garment. And he says to him, What are you doing in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. And he was cast out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. No man can stand before a holy God sitting in judgment. The Lord Jesus Christ, with our sins upon Him, had God turn His back on Him and desert Him. Jesus Christ Himself prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me, because He was going to have to stand before the Lord as our sin representative and as our mediator. And was there another way for that? So holy is God, it pleased the Lord to bruise His only begotten Son. So holy is God, He shut the glories of the Son in and forsook the Lord Jesus Christ. Who can stand before a holy God? The devils, when they met Jesus of Nazareth, they would run to Him and fall on the ground and worship Him. And say, we know, thou, we know Thee who Thou art. Art Thou come to torment us before the time? They couldn't stand. They know what's coming for them. They fear and tremble the God that we should fear and tremble and obey. When Peter met the Lord Jesus Christ at one of his ships, he had to say, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Who can stand before the Lord? This is the Lord Jesus Christ in all of His kind blessing upon Peter and his fishing family to have such a catch in one cast of the nets that it was to sink a couple of ships. But Peter responds in the presence of pure holiness. Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. John fell at his feet as dead. The heaven and the earth will flee away from his face. The Lord Jesus Christ sitting in judgment will cause the universe as we know it to run away and hide from the fury of the holiness of His face. And we shall stand naked before Him and be judged and given account of our lives. And all the fearful and all the unbelieving 
and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone forever and ever. Have you ever told a lie? All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Have you ever worked iniquity? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Have you ever been foolish? The foolish shall not stand in his sight. If thou, O Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. From Adam to Revelation 21, no man can stand, and yet we shall all stand. We are so wrapped up, all of us, in our little worlds and our little lives, our jobs, our homes, our families, our clothes, our cars, our, our little lives. But it's all going to disappear. Whether the Lord comes or you go to Him by death, there's a great day of judgment coming in which we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And who shall stand? Let me remind you of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We don't even have to wait for the day of judgment. We can go boldly into the presence of a holy God right now because of what He's done for us. What we are about to celebrate in the Lord's Supper is so wonderful. It exceeds our ability to fully comprehend it. We are so dull when it comes to the things of God and the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. For 2,000 years... God had men worship Him according to the laws of Moses that He gave Moses. And here's what the Bible says about them. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8. He is describing the ordinances of worshiping God under the Old Testament. And I will get verse 7 to begin the sentence. Speaking of the two compartments in the tabernacle. The first compartment was called the holy place. The second compartment was called the holiest of all. In that compartment was the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim over it where God dwelt. Verse 7, But into the second, that is into the holiest of all, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. While that little tent was standing, under the Old Testament, the Holy Ghost was signifying to us, by the fact that the high priest could only go in there once a year, by himself, with blood, the Holy Ghost was telling us, in a picture, that the way into God's presence was not yet made clear. That there was going to be a way into God's presence made clear. And we live in the clear, shining light of the New Testament. We know how to go straight to God. And not once a year and with no one else. We can go right now. We can go ten times a day. And we can go boldly. The Holy Ghost was signifying something. And these are the types and shadows we preach. The ones Paul explained as having any value. From the New Testament. Verse 9, which was a figure, that old tent, (coughs) the tabernacle standing then, 
which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers' washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. We have had a high priest go into the reality of the holiest of all. Not the shadow, not the signification by the tent, but into God's presence Himself once for all time, once for all sins, once for all the elect, and put away sins by the offering of Himself to God. These few verses explain the Old Testament and the New. God kept them in darkness for 2,000 years because the law was a schoolmaster. There was instruction and a tutor teaching us things about meeting a holy God. And they could not get there for 2,000 years because the Holy Ghost was showing them how difficult it was to stand before a holy God. But it is no longer difficult because we have a but that opens up verse 11 that tells us, but Christ has entered into the holiest and opened that way up permanently for us. Let's come to chapter 10. And very quickly, chapter 10 is beautiful. No man can stand before God. I don't care who you are, your name, your accomplishments, your education, your intellect, nothing is going to help you in the sight of God on His throne and the Lord Jesus Christ in the day of judgment. But that your name is found in the Lamb's book of life and that Jesus Christ will own you as His own, then it makes all the difference in the universe. All the difference for time and eternity will be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are so many things I want to say, and there is not enough time. Let me, let me give you a little warm-up in chapter 10 before we get to verse 19. Verses 19 through 22 are so sweet. Let Israel hope in the Lord, because there is plenteous redemption and all her sins have been forgiven and forgotten. And we can go boldly into the presence of God right now at this table, right now in your hearts, tomorrow, yesterday. It's all open to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 10, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come. And you know who those good things were for? You and me. Good things to come that they didn't know about yet. They just saw the shadow. It wasn't even a good picture. A shadow shows no details. We know the details of the Lord Jesus Christ opening up a way for us. It wasn't the very image of the things. And and those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually couldn't make the comers therein too perfect. But we have perfection by what Jesus Christ has done for us. Notice, the Old Testament was just a shadow. It was a shadow of good things. Good things that were to come. It was not good things. That's why the book of Hebrews, the whole purpose of which 
is to show that the Gospel is better than the Old Testament. The New Covenant is better than the Old Covenant. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the Levitical priesthood. All the comparisons that are made in the book of Hebrews are the good things that we know about. And they were to come from their perspective. They have come from our perspective. They've been here for 2,000 years. And our brethren have had access into the presence of God by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and under His shed blood and His flesh for 2,000 years. In verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. God was not pleased by the merit and value of Old Testament worship. He was pleased by them doing it because that was his ordinance for them in the time then present. But it didn't please him. It didn't satisfy his holiness at all. Not at all. He was looking for something else. And he prepared a body. A body hast thou prepared me. That's for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we needed something that had blood running through it. That could die and shed that blood and have that flesh torn. That would please the Lord. And it did please the Lord. It tells us in verse 9. Then said he. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. He took away the first way of worshiping God, the first covenant, the first testament, Moses' law, all the ceremonies of the tabernacle, that he could establish the second covenant, the second testament, the worship of God under the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took away the first to establish the second Verse 10 tells us by the which will, the will of God that Jesus obeyed, described there in verse 9, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Sanctified means to be made holy. By the which will, God's will to send Jesus Christ and to prepare a body for Him has sanctified us forever from all sins and it applies to all of God's elect. Hebrews 10:11 By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It is not the sinner's will, the preacher's will, the prayer warrior's will or any other will but the will of God and Jesus Christ saying, "I come to do thy will, O God." That is our sanctification and that makes us holy. That's holiness in verse 10. By the which will, we are sanctified. We have been made holy. Jesus went into the holiest. He went into the presence of God. He offered His blood to God. He was able to go because He was perfectly holy. But He's made us perfectly holy so that we can go as well. It says in verse 14, from, For by one offering... He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. We have had several times the statements made in chapters 9 and 10 that the Old Testament could not make the comers thereunto perfect. But here we're told, for by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So if when you read verse 11 you're wondering, how sanctified am I? Verse 14 tells you, you're perfectly sanctified. For how long? Forever. 
For by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Is that an offering past, present, or future? It's past by 2,000 years. We've been made holy. There is a place in the presence of God. Now, God is present everywhere. But in the presence of God, when we shall stand before Him, and He judges us in pure holiness, who shall stand? But these verses are leading up to some wonderful verses. They're telling us that we have been sanctified by Jesus Christ. And how sanctified? We are made perfect. Those that are sanctified are made perfect by His one offering. So he comes to verse 19. I'm cheating a little bit for time's sake. Having therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? The therefore of verse 19 is therefore because of verse 18. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin, which is there because of verse 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Can God forget when he chooses to forget, right. how does he forget? Legally. He will never hold them against us. He's forgotten them as having any weight or charge against us. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. There is nothing that we do to make an offering today. We're not offering anything to God by this. We're remembering the offering he made for us. Catholics go to this, call it the Mass. It's another sacrifice. They're offering Jesus Christ over and over and over upon their altars. Though they try to deny that, if you, when you pin them, that's what they're doing. Verse 19, having therefore, because our sins have been forgotten by God, and there's no more offering needed for sin, because we're perfectly holy, having therefore, brethren, boldness, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. There is nothing real in your life compared to standing before Jesus Christ. One nanosecond of standing before Him and everything you do, everything you have ever thought will disappear in that nanosecond of time. There is a time coming when we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But because of what Jesus Christ did for us by going to the cross of Calvary to stand and go into that holiest by Himself with His own blood one time, we can go and stand in that holy presence and we can go boldly. And how can we go boldly? Because of the infinite value of the precious blood that was taken in there. So we have verse 19, having therefore, brethren, if you have followed me through chapters 9 and 10, the apostle is saying to the Hebrews, having therefore, brethren, boldness, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We can go into the very presence of God ourselves at any time because all of our sins have been paid for for all time, for all the elect, by one sacrifice that is now 2,000 years old. And we remember that one sacrifice by this table. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. Why can we be bold? Because we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, which body God prepared Him and which body God was well pleased with. And when you say, well, am I holy enough for the holiest of all? Am I holy enough for the holy presence of the holy God we've been considering? You've been perfectly 
holy. You've been made perfectly holy by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ according to verse 14 so that we can come boldly into the holiest. We can go straight into the presence of that holy God and we can do it boldly because He is our Father. We are His children. And at His right hand is a high priest, the likes of which the world has never seen, not under the laws of Moses, nor in the Roman Catholic Church, nor the Levitical or Melchizedek priesthood of those foolish Mormons out in Utah. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the apostle and the high priest of our profession. Amen. And He is standing there at the right hand of God. And we can go boldly into His presence because it is His blood that was sacrificed once for us, and it made us perfectly holy. Verse 20, we can enter into the holiest, verse 20, by a new and living way. Not the old way of trying to offer up sacrifices of animals, but a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. Remember the big veil? Four inches thick, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, that kept the worshipers from ever seeing in to where the Ark of the Covenant was? That veil was rent from top to bottom by a high priest that offered his own blood and ripped it from top to bottom so that we could go in by a new and living way, that is to say, through his flesh. His flesh was torn, his blood was shed, so that this priest could go in there and consecrate once for all. Aaron had to go in every year. I know, we're, we're, we're dumb Gentiles. We don't appreciate all the ordinances that the Jews had to go through Aaron had to go in there every year. Jesus Christ went one time and consecrated this way. So this way is open to us forever. He consecrated it with His own blood. Do you know how they could use all the instruments in the tabernacle in the old days? Because blood was sprinkled on all those instruments by Aaron the high priest. Jesus Christ the high priest has sprinkled blood before God and consecrated a way. That means making a way open and holy so that we can go straight into the presence of God through the veil. The veil, you know, the veil was just a picture. But there's a real veil in heaven because God is perfectly holy. And that all has been taken out of the way so that we can all go straight into the presence of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ's flesh. We have His flesh in verse 20. We have His blood in verse 19. We're celebrating them both at the Lord's table. We can have boldness with our Father. We can go straight to our Father, call Him Father. He said if you call on the Father while you're here, Past the time of your sojourning in fear, but He's got an eternal inheritance reserved for us. Right. And we can come boldly to Him. He just asks that we live a holy life while we're here. Verse 21, And having an high priest over the house of God. I've already said enough. That high priest is there. He's standing at the right hand of God. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And He's consecrated this open way. We can go straight to God now, and we will stand accepted before Him in that day. Verse 22, what should we do with this wonderful news? Let us draw near. Let us draw near. You know, a brother said to me between services, it's so comforting in James chapter 4 for it to say, draw nigh unto God and He will draw nigh unto you. Let us draw near. So what do we take with us when we go to God? Let us draw near with a true heart. Let's not be hypocrites. Let's not play with Jesus Christ's religion. Let's come with holy lives, true hearts, not double-minded hearts, not false hearts, true hearts. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, being convinced that what the Bible says is true. Do you believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created? 
Do you believe Acts 10.34 that Cornelius was accepted with God before he met Peter? Do you believe this? That a high priest has consecrated a way for us that lasts forever into God's presence? Believe it. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Not partial. Full assurance of faith. God said it. God promised it. God performed it. Jesus Christ did it. Jesus Christ obeyed. Our sins are forgiven. He doesn't remember them anymore. It's part of His covenant. We're just the beneficiaries of it. Do you believe the last will and testament of God Almighty? He has said their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So we come with full assurance of faith. We believe the Gospel. The Gospel is the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ so that we can stand before Him in that day. And the only ones that will ever believe that message and rejoice in hope of that message are God's elect. He that believeth is saved. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Those poor Jews every year, every day, every sacrifice, every time there was bleeding and blood spraying, they had to remember that their sins weren't put away yet or that animal wouldn't be killed. If you've got to kill something again tomorrow, that means today didn't put away sin. All the time, their consciences were covered with their sins. But you know, we've heard the gospel, and we're supposed to believe the gospel. Our sins have been put away forever, all of them. It is finished, said our Savior when He died on the cross. Our Lamb died on the cross and said, it is finished. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. A heart that is true toward God, truly loves Him, adores Him, is thankful for all that He's done for us, and believes every word that He has said, that He sent His Son into this world to lay down His life and to purchase eternal redemption for us and to make us holy and to consecrate a way into heaven. And He now sits at God's right hand, the work finished. It's said in verse 11 that every priest in this world has to stand to get his job done. You know a priest can't offer sacrifice while he's sitting? So they're all standing. There's so many good things in Hebrews 10, 1 through 22. But Jesus Christ sat down because He'd finished the work. He sat down at God's right hand. We have our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience by hearing the gospel of what God has done for us and believing it. We know that we are free from our sins because we believe it by faith. And then we get baptized by washing our, water, our bodies in pure water by being buried and raised again out of water to show a picture of how it was done. And so we have in Hebrews 10.22 the explanation for these words. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The man who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusts in Him as the Son of God and His only Savior from sin and who follows Him in obedience in the waters of baptism shall be saved in the great day of judgment. He doesn't believe in order to get born again. He doesn't believe in order to be justified. He doesn't believe in order to be elected. But his belief and his obedience in baptism, the first steps of a child of God in obedience, are the evidence that he's one of God's children. And we're to draw near. We're to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with these things already present. Our hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience because we've heard the good news of what Jesus Christ did for us 
and our bodies are washed with pure water. We already have those things in place. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is calling upon the name of the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit in a way of submission and obedience to Him. That is the evidence of eternal life. We have a way in to the holiest. No matter how holy God is, and He is infinitely holy, we can go boldly into the holiest and meet Him right now. And we're going to do that the way He has ordained through this supper. This supper, I'll say it again, is not a supper for feelings. Some people are raised on thinking the Lord's Supper is a place for feelings. The Lord's Supper is no more for feelings than baptism is for feelings. Every one of you that I have ever baptized, I've told you, there's really only one feeling you're going to get from baptism. Wet. Because it's not an ordinance for feelings. Baptism is an ordinance by faith. If God said it, that Jesus did this for me, and I'm to do this for Him, that I'm going to do it by faith, and by this picture of His burial and resurrection, it's the answer of a good conscience, and He is pleased with it, then that's why we do it. And when we come to this table, this is an issue of faith. God was not pleased with the sacrifices of the Jews for 2,000 years. He sent Jesus Christ with a body so that that flesh could be torn and that blood shed to open up a way so that after I die or in the great day of judgment when Jesus comes, I can stand before Him perfect. We do that by faith. Lord, I take of this bread because by faith I believe that Jesus died and His flesh was torn to open up a new and living way for me. And by His blood, I have access into the holiest. Thank You, Lord, for doing that for me. It's a matter of faith. God did it in reality. And God ordered this to be done as a picture of what Jesus Christ did in reality. It's not an issue of feelings. It's an issue of faith. Do you have faith? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? That God sent His Son into this world and that Son died on the cross of Calvary for all the elect God had given Him and He will not lose a single one of them. And those elect are known by laying hold of Jesus Christ by faith and by adding to that faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and they make their calling and election sure. Everyone else thinks everything I've just said is total foolishness and they have no time for it. If you have time for it, believe it and love it. It's the evidence that you're a child of God. Let's draw near right now with a true heart and full assurance of faith and partake of the Lord's Supper.